Welcome to the Backdrop Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your host, Matt Constein, here with our co-host, The Professor. Top of the morning, Professor. How are you? I'm a little feisty today. Um, I'm not sure when this is getting released, but um, live right now in my life, it's end of the semester. So we've got all the end of the semester fires going on and all that. So it's got me a little... A little feisty, a little fiery between my own to-do list and all the other to-do lists everybody else is throwing on top of me as their uh, as their world starts to crumble. So, we're- are you are you thro- are you throwing books yet and and uh, screaming at poor defensive students, you know, or are you keeping it keeping contained? I'm more of a containment person. I just let the you know walk into my office and let the the expletives out then in my own in my own privacy or or commiserate with Claire over dinner. Um, Definitely someone that internalizes things rather than takes them out on other people. And I let people, I let myself be the punching bag for some other people. You sure do. And you know what? I'm a, is it okay? I'm just going to dive in. Let's get the uh, formalities of our show underway. Uh, can I steal your fun fact today? I mean, the, my world's crumbling anyways. Go ahead. Just take take that from <laughs> me too. Go, go right ahead. I- <laughs> I, I, uh, no, I, this is, I want to steal the fun fact because I think I can help you. It's very rare. Use, take, take that. Yeah. Take that pressure off me. I'm I'm all for it. I'll sit back and relax. It's, it's very rare that I can educate the professor, but I saw a tweet you sent out. Um, I'm limiting my, my social media use. I I feel really good and and refreshed about it, but every, every week I jump on and, and I get like a digest. And so, I saw the professor was tweeting about. Is it still called a tweet? By the way, what, what, what do you call it? You, you, you shoot it out there. Can you call it an X? I don't. I, I don't know. Yeah, shooting an X whatever. on X. <laughs> Elon can do whatever Elon wants to do. He does. Um, no, I. I read that you said something about to do list. My to do list is long or something to that effect, and it's not getting done. Right? Is that what you said? Mm. Effectively, yeah. I'm like, I just have no idea how with the the deadlines I've coming up, how I'm going to get everything done by the dates that they need to get done by. So I think I think again, I'm stealing the fun fact here at the top of the show. I'm going. It, I think I have something that helps you on to do list. I used to live in a to do list prison of stress, guilt, and and dysfunction. And I've I flipped it many many years ago. There uh, there was a book written by uh, guy, guys out of Chicago that started their, uh, their company, 37 Signals. It was Jason Fareed and, and David uh, Henneman, um, two kind of legendary, they're very counterculture in a, in a lot of business sense. But uh, I got to meet Jason who presented to a group of managers um, in my, my old glory days at Groupon when they were on a rocket ship. And he was just, just a fascinating individual and um, somewhat, we, you know, Big company, a lot of things to do. Someone brought up to do list, and he he said something that so resonated with me that I, I just stopped and started doing things uh, very differently. So I just I, let's start with a question, like you do. I'm I'm taking from my educator, the professor here. Uh, how do you structure your to do list, professor? I typically, you know, I I'm actually not a like to do list guy where I have this list of things I need to get done. I, I'm not so much that. I'm someone that like I have a whiteboard right here, and I have like the one paper, right? The one paper that I'm really hyper-focused on for my for my research. So I've got that. Then I have like an ongoing big thing that I keep listed and I try to privilege that. Then I have like a list of the next thing. But then relative to the different hats I have to wear, like I kind of have the thing under each hat that I have to prioritize. And I try to focus on that. Now, with that said, when I get these, like I'm in a, an admin role right now and that's why that really motivated that tweet. In the admin role, I have things like by the university's logistics, I have to get done by certain dates or because of my admin role, people, their own issues, I have to take them on, right? Like if they have issues, regardless if I think they're important issues or not, or perceived or real, like I have to take them on and help them through them. So in that world, I do create it to like, this is due by this date, I have to do this by this date. And and that I do have the traditional to-do list. Um, But then I try to structure my day we're like no email before 11, like my own private time till noon. That's my writing time. And then after that afternoon goes to like, okay, let's look at that to-do list. What can I check? What can I get done? Then like if I get what I need done, then I go back to my things, right? So that, that's my typical structure. So This week is like the, the this end of the semester becomes the exception where I have to kind of like 
everybody's fires become bigger than my own because they make them that way. And I'm in a role right now where I need to just, that's part of your role in leadership. I mean, you know, this running new clubs sometimes like regardless if you think something's unimportant, if other people think it's important, you need to embrace it as important and, and find ways to help them. So like this, this week, yeah, it is. Give me to-do list advice. If you got some way to help me think through <laughs> no, that. You already, Cause that's what I, that's. And this is, yeah. this is to be expected. You can't bring up anything and think the professor hasn't thought through it. The professor thinks about pretty much everything, probably more than he should, but the, uh, you're already doing a lot of kind of what this uh, philosophy is, right? So uh, just off the hop, long lists don't get done and, and they always get abandoned, right? So don't, Create a long list. So if you don't have, do a long one. What's what's long? Like in your experience or by their advice, what would you say is long? I think over 10. Okay. Over 10, right? And so if you have this giant list that's over 10, even five, maybe you can make an argument, it's it's not gonna get done. They're guilt trips. Uh they they make you feel just terrible when you look at them. And at a certain point, you're just gonna stop looking at them because you feel bad. Right. And I, 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 that, that's the, that's the cycle I used to be in. Mm. I just kept a really long list. I put ones and twos next to it. I put low and high. And I just always just felt like shit every time I looked at it. Eventually I stopped because I was just stressed. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then, and then you're still, actually, you're still stressed because you know it's still there. You know that things mm -hmm. aren't getting done. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, what, what he said that stuck with me was just breaking into smaller lists, which seems so simple, right? It's like, all right. Long lists don't get done. Don't use your long list. Have instead of, let's call it 100, let's use large numbers from my little brain. Use 100 things are on your list. Make 10 lists. Bunch those things together. Maybe they're batched. So there's this idea of batch work. Like maybe there's similar things that get done together or build upon each other. Like try to identify those and keep it on individual lists. So now you have 10 lists of 10 things, which means when you complete something, you actually did 10% of your list. Versus when uh, it was on a hundred percent, you did 1% of your list. And so you keep that cycle of, but you, it, you see the end is the point. Yeah. You see, you have to give yourself reasonable mile markers. He told this story when he, this is again, this is like 2012. He told this story about the guy that did this marathon expedition through Antarctica. And, you know, the idea of doing it by himself, by the way, which was a world record, all these different records he set, the idea of doing it scared him so much that it was this huge thing that he was trying to achieve that he broke it into the smallest, most obtainable things he possibly could. And so it'd be like that piece of ice. Mm -hmm. He just got started. He did all of his preparation, obviously, and his physical, like get ready for it. But he's like that piece of ice, 10 feet away or 10 yards away, I'm getting to today. <laughs> like that, and, and he just used that analogy as like us in our work life where you have to break up these big problems into smaller pieces, smaller problems is, is the, uh, the idea. So smaller lists, mm -hmm. same amount of stuff at the end of the day, we're not, you know, fooling ourselves, but smaller, more attainable list. The other thing is priority. I, yeah. I, you talked a little bit about how you prioritize. Well, how, how do you prioritize? And, and I should be fair, like you, you you stole the fact of the day, but also what I described in terms of my workload stems from a couple books you gave me that were Design Your Life, I think is the one, and then uh, The One Thing. Next you suggested the, both those readings to me a long time ago, and The One Thing is really how I structure my board. And that's been, I've gotten back on that this year, and it's helped out. Um, it's helped out a lot. And that's what I use as priorities. Like, I, I think this stems Warren Buffett's to-do list advice, not to-do list advice, but he has a list of things you want to accomplish. And his advice was... Um, you know, you make that list and there's probably like 20 things you want to accomplish. This is, could be life or like your career. And he says, only the top three matter. He goes, actually, the next group after that are things you have to say no to because they're things you're deeply passionate about, but they're going to distract you from the things that are above it because you're deeply passionate about it. So he's like, make those lists of the 10 things you want to accomplish in the next five years. Take the bottom seven and say no to all of those and just focus on the top three. Yeah. Then when you finish one of the top three, replace it with something else. Um, so priority-wise, yeah. I've tried to do that this year and I fell off of that. You know, you gave me that advice. I followed that advice. I think that's one of the reasons I was so successful for a while. And then I had, you know, probably a three-year COVID complicated, like call in a new relationship that I love with Claire, like had priorities in other places. But 2019, 22 were probably... I'd say pretty low run for me career-wise, like just productivity. And so this year I've gone back to the advice you gave where it's just like that one thing, right? What's that one paper right now? And I should dedicate a majority of my personal work time to that one thing. 
if nothing else needs my attention, right? Like if there's nothing else that like right. absolutely needs it, no, that one thing should get my hyper-focus. Now, I benefit of living in a profession where hyper-focus is rewarded. So I can get away with that. That's not true of every profession, but I think by and large, most people can model um, that behavior. Yeah, yeah, that that was, you, you already do what he always, this is again, uh, Jason Freed always suggested, which is instead of add like one, twos, and threes, because if you've ever done that, if you've ever looked at your to-do list and you're like, all right, I'm going to put priority with this and you put either high or low or one, two, and three, it is shocking how many are ones. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's like concerning how many things in our life we place as high priority. They can't all be high priority just by the nature of priority. You can't do that. So his, his advice was visually make it one thing. And, that, and that's what you already do. Because when you're done with that, then it's another one big thing right? Or not big thing. I don't want to say big because again, break it down in smaller problems, but uh, one thing, one thing, uh, one thing. Let me, so yeah, that's... We're, this is supposed to be a golf podcast and we're going to ram, or not rambling, but we're not talking golf. But let me ask you one thing that... That's okay. I, I, I saw my co-host in need. Yeah, I knew that like, you needed let me to ask discuss One thing I, I struggle with and I don't have an answer to this. Like I'm not going to come back with, well, like, here's what I've learned on this. Like this is something I've struggled with and you, I know you you have to do this better than I do because of your personal situation. How do you balance family in that, right? Like, so I mentioned Claire, like that, mm-hmm. that's been a big change up for me since 2016, 17 of having a relationship I love and I want to put, I want to put time into it. I, when I get home at five o'clock, I don't want to work on the manuscript anymore and write where I used to like put six more hours in sometimes. How do you, how do you build that in? Like, what have you learned on that? Yeah, actually what I wanted to, to, and my fun fact with is a ta- <clears throat> tactic. So I, I will um, I will come back to that. But I think in the broad term, what I guess I've learned, and I'm still learning, it's really difficult. It's really difficult to be, you know, a motivated person that wants to achieve a lot of uh, uh, great things personally and professionally, and then still make time for your family. Um, but uh, but there's a lot of people that have done it, you know, before. And and I, th- I think it's just ba- boundaries is what I would call it. And and it's so hard to like, um, what do you call, uh, for, for me, here's the visual, right? Luckily my wife was very supportive and I work from home in creating a physical barrier between my work world and my home. And so, you know, we looked at, and this is, this goes to, I, I'll give my wife the credit here because we looked at houses, right? So we moved, we are adding children to the mix and we need more space, blah, blah, blah. And so we looked at all these homes that we liked and, and I had to kind of, I was approaching it as like my office being kind of secondary as, as in, I'll figure it out. You know, I'm always that way. Like, I'll just figure it out. Okay. This place I'll be working in the attic or this place we're going to take this, you know, additional bedroom and we're going to convert that. The, the, problem I think she saw, and maybe she saw it when we were in our apartment living style uh, in Chicago, is that like it just flows too much into the the regular workings of things. Meaning, you know, if my office is right between my two daughters, like, well, is my head with my daughters or is my head with my work? And and so I think she she started to say, as we were looking at these houses, she's like, well, where are you? You're going to work from home. We've determined that. Where are, is your space? And so where I'm at right now, like this door is, it's, it's by the garage. It's out separate from everything else. And when I walk across the threshold, meaning through our mud room and into our kitchen, I'm at, I'm with my family. I'm at home. I am not gonna. And if I, if work stuff creeps in, I, I, you know, try my heart. It's just, it's, again, not doing it every day, but I try my heart to say, Hey, I, I really got to knock this thing out. I'm going to go, you know, shut the door and, and, and spend an hour in the office and try to get this thing done. And so for me being work from home and being, you know, uh, growing new club, that that's kind of how my approach is. The, the tactic though, <clears throat> if I can, I'll, I'll continue on, um, uh, scheduling the schedule, like actually scheduling time for family is what my answer is. Mm-hmm. And, and in the same way that I would schedule time to work on new club events or work on membership materials or work on marketing or sales or whatever, I do that for my family and my calendar. And so I think this is something that a lot of people don't do. And I'm, I'm in the early phases of, of doing this, Kevin. Uh, but how do, you, uh, how do you treat your email? How do you spend time in email? That's, uh, 
I'll ask it that way. Yeah, that was one of my bad, call it an addiction, I guess, if you will. The one in that, you know, that three-year bad run I mentioned in terms of low productivity where it became, it was my like coping mechanism probably for avoiding the harder work or just the mentally taxing work. And it like gave me a, a sense of getting stuff done. So then I was bad, like I was, it was always up. And I was just, you know, I would look at it every 15 minutes. Then I'll get that email done, that email done. Look, my inbox is cleared out. I'm definitely an inbox zero mindset guy. Um, yeah. But now I've changed that. Like this year or this semester, I've started it where it's like, I'm not, I, I refuse to look at it before 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, and even okay. then I tried to lay it as long as possible. And then it's concentrated bouts. Like, you know, I get in, I look at it. What's, if there's something needed, I respond. If not, I shut it down and then I get back to doing the other stuff, right? Then definitely I end my day. I mean, I've got students, right? And colleagues that I need to be sensitive to time-wise. So like, I can't just like ignore it for two or three days. I I do that some, I actually do that sometimes, but I try not to just to look in. And so I'll end my day, like just looking really quick. Um, But then again, it goes to, if there's nothing pressing, close it down and get back in the other stuff. So that's, that's how I do now where I try to do, you know, two, three check-ins a day. That's it. Yeah. So, so, um, this is new to me and this tactic, I think a lot of people are going to relate to this and I think it's worth anyone exploring because I'm probably, when did I decide to start doing this? Maybe October. So I'm probably two months into this exercise, let's call it, of not reacting. I'm, I'm very reactive as many people are, meaning I get a Slack message or I get a text message or I get an email and, and they're all interruptions. Let's face it, right? <laughs> like we, we were, do, if, if you look at your day and you can't think of things to do, you probably need a new job, right? <laughs> you should, we all should be working on things we care about and, and what have you. But uh, those emails, those texts, those messages, no matter where they come from, they are going to interrupt whatever you're doing and, and you're going to tr- a lot of times react. And being reactionary sometimes is necessary, right? House is on fire. There's an issue. Student has an issue. Uh, golf course has an issue. What for for my world? It just you have to react in some cases. But a better approach, in, in the, well, a different approach that I'm testing out is this. I now don't look at. I have to check my email every day, or I have to check my email so many times, uh, or I have to spend time replying and doing the things in my email. Because email is, and this relates to our first part of the conversation on to-do list, email is just a to-do list. And in fact, it's the worst kind of to-do list. It's a good frame. It's the worst kind of to-do list that has it's it's it is the long list. It's so filled, and there's no priority to it. It's just when things come in, and now we got a bunch of smart inboxes. Gmail has some things that they do, but none of it truly well, uh, uh, prioritizes for you. You have to. And you it's have to someone else person. putting stuff on your to do list, right? Like that's the difference about your email. That's, like, that's it. Like it's someone else where like I'm of the mindset, and I've been of this mindset for a while. Like. I'm, I'm not convinced email increases our productivity because it lets, depends who you work with. It lets people in the old office days, they'd have to come to you and ask questions. And so they would just take care of most things themselves where now emails enable, in text messaging enables people to ask questions they would have never asked before or ask for things they would have never asked before. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of theories on people that are like no email, like they've, they're trying to remove email entirely from their lives. Every time it comes back, like it, for whatever reason, emails really per, been persisted because I think it's just become the de facto, you know, you used to, like you said, you used to walk into someone's office. Now it's the de facto email. So it's not, you can't remove it from your life yet. Maybe, maybe there's some, te- you know, future technologies that will, but the, the, the point of this, this um, operating system that I'm going to describe in, in terms of, uh, uh, using, you know, those to-do lists, those emails is actually setting time on your calendar to, to process email. Think of it as I have to process my email. I don't have to respond. I don't have to mm. react. I don't have to do all the things that people are putting on this, you know, virtual to-do list for me. I need to process it. And so what that requires is to review what's in there and set aside time to do that. And as you're reviewing it, it's going to have a lot of to-dos and some things that you have to decide. Is it important? Is it more important than this? Am I going to do this right now? Am I going to do it later? And what you physically do is you estimate the time that it takes to 
respond to the email, to do the thing that is required in the email, and you put it on your calendar. Mm. And you put it on your calendar in blocks of time. Blocks of time that people shouldn't interrupt you because you're saying this is important enough for me to spend time doing and I'm going to I'm going to do that. Now, not replying to emails is rude is what a lot of people would say. So what I'm trying to uh, get better at, I haven't been doing it fully, is let's say, okay, let's say um, I get, uh, someone wants me to break down all the invoices from an entire year of, of golf from one of our golf clubs, right? Let's just say that's the hypothetical. And I say, yep, that's important. Uh, okay, Thursday, I have time. It's Maybe I'm reviewing it on Tuesday, but Thursday, I have time. I'm going to block off, man, it's probably going to take me three good hours. So I'm going to block off three hours to do that uh, on Thursday. And so then I, you reply to that email or the person that's asking for that to do. And you say, uh, hey, thanks for your email. Uh, definitely important. I'm going to get that back to you. Um, I will reply to you on Thursday. I have, you can even tell them, I've set aside time to investigate this on Thursday. Uh, I will reply to you then with what I find or what the next step is or whatever. Uh, and and that, there it is. And then they don't feel like you're rude because you're actually saying like, yes, I prioritize it. And even in the case that it's say, let's say I didn't think that was a high priority and say, I put it 60 days, literally 60 days away in my calendar. Just reply and say that. You know, let's be honest with what our actions are. And hey, I'm going to put, I'm going to put that, uh, I got a lot going, you know, in this w- next two months, but that is a priority and, and I'm going to put it on the calendar in 60 days. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. But the point of this, and this is, this is the revelation. I've been doing it for two months, Kevin. We as human beings are terrible at estimating time. Mm-hmm. Have you ever said like, oh yeah, I'm going to rake the yard. It's going to take 30 minutes and mm-hmm. six hours later, you're still raking or, you know, like oh, we're, we're just, terrible. we're not only are we, we're not, we're not only bad by a little bit, we're bad by a lot. Yeah. And what you truly start to realize doing this process is you look at your to-do list and you're like, oh yeah, okay. Those are all the things I'm going to get done. Sure. But when you actually are forced to estimate the time that it takes to do things and put it on your calendar. And then when you get to your calendar, when it's time to do that thing, you start to realize, wow, I was off by a multiple of two. I spent that three hours doing this thing. It's going to take me seven more. And, And then you start to become very honest with yourself and honest with other people about what you're, you can get done. Mm-hmm. And you, it actually removes, I, it, from my perspective, it has started to remove some stress where uh, I'm also getting better at estimating time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not very good right now. I can tell you right now, we're all very optimistic of what we can get done in a given day, but it's making me focus on the most important things. And when I look at, now I look at every single week and it is a full blocked calendar of all these to-dos, all these things. I have to make the decision when I get a new thing, I have to make a decision. Is it more important right now? Mm -hmm. Is it more impactful right now? Does it change behaviors right now if I do that thing in front of these other things? And sometimes the answer is yes. And there's, I I have some hilarious ones that just keep getting pushed off every time. And I'm starting to think to myself, why do I even do that at all? Mm -hmm. Like if I, if I, consistently every week determine that that thing isn't of priority. Maybe it's not helping anyone. Maybe yeah. it's not. Maybe it's not adding value. Maybe it's taking value away. So maybe we, you know, get rid of that thing. So anyways, I, I, I saw your tweet and it sent me spiraling because I've gone through a lot of the same things. I hope those that are listening who are busy golfers, busy uh, uh, people in business, academia, whatever, take some value in that. Because I think we, we all go through it, right? Life is just filled with communication. It's filled with all these things that we need to do. And, and I'm just sharing some ideas of how we can you know, help each other do it better. I think you know, it's going to be timely because people are going to be turning to January 1 and everybody sets their resolutions and their new habits. And uh, I'm going to follow that. I'm going to follow that time block off one. I'm going to not only for those things, but then it, what you're saying there just really spoke to me in terms of making sure you're privileging what's important to you too, right? Like and, and scheduling that in, if that's family time, writing time, whatever it is that you need to be do, make sure those blocks are there and then they become untouchable. Don't let the other things move in because I definitely, I think I'll speak for myself. It's easy with hard work to let the non-hard work creep in and like take over that work, right? Where it's the hard work that is the hard work, is the work we value, but it's just so easy to replace it with stuff you can check off. 
And I'll say this last last thing on the idea is that one thing I was concerned about is my uh, I like I'm an improv guy. I like to be spontaneous. I like to let ideas flow and have conversation. I thought this would really hamper me in that, and it's done the exact opposite. There there is now uh, time to be creative. I, I have blocked off some spontaneity time just to kind of dive into certain things or just do something for myself that I really want to geek out on, maybe. But um, it, it's it's actually created more of a structure to be spontaneous, if that makes sense. Yeah, probably. So that's, a, that's been a nice surprise. Probably frees up your mind, right? By like, I mean, the worst thing to do is leave that email hanging in your inbox you need to, you need to get back to, let's say that 30-day thing, right? And you leave it sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. So you think about it perpetually every day versus like, no, just fire it out. I'll get back to you in 30 days. Now it's off your mind and that frees up your mind to yeah. do yeah, other bingo. stuff. Yeah, You nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, dive into the, the the golf side of this episode. <laughs> this is why you're in charge of fun facts, is because you're much better at being concise. But any, anyways, uh, big thanks to our sponsor of this podcast, Titleist, the number one ball in golf. Also creeping up the leaderboard in irons, uh, our T series of irons that both the professor and I are fans of. Um, they're they're making a ton of sales. I was just looking mm-hmm. at the numbers of the other manufacturers with the new releases and uh, the T-Series is hot. And uh, are very excited them. to report. Go for, I was just saying, people are happy with them. But they're they're, they're uh, getting a lot of positive reviews. People are happy with them, yeah. No, it's... And and four new members of New Club will be stepping into their own set of T-Series irons because... Professor, we're talking here on December 1st. Happy Friday the 1st. This is awesome. December 1st. Uh, the winners of our annual Quest for the Crown competition who get a custom set of T-Series irons. Uh, I had them right up here in front of me. We need to give them a shout out. Where is my list of our winners? My apologies. <laughs> Too many tabs, Professor. See, this, this is maybe my email. Um I know, I know I'll do we, it from memory. I know <laughs> we got one. I, I remember one. Patrick Moy. Christopher Staffout. No, I, I, let's see if I can do this. Christopher Staffout from Texas, Richardson, Texas. Patrick Moy yep. from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Kyle Porter from Chicago, Illinois. And Taylor Hampshire. Taylor, I apologize. I can't remember where you're from right now. But those are our winners of the Quest for the Crown. They're going to be stepping into a T-Series fitting. They get to go through the whole Titleist approach with a fitter in their area. There are hundreds of certified Titleist fitters all over the country. Um, They're going to get them squared away with three key elements. Distance control, dispersion control, and descent angle. That's what they preach about their their fittings, why they do it differently. And I got to say, after going through it, I agree. I think those are the, the three main factors that um, that have made a significant difference in in what I'm seeing off the club phase uh, this year in my T100s. But whether it's the T150s or T200s, the full family T series, they're all hot right now, making people happy. Four people, four members of New Club. Congrats, guys! You did it. You got it across. They won. I gotta say last round of the year, which is uh-huh. pretty cool. We were watching the leaderboard. We almost had a tie. We, we freaked out because we we forgot to disclose what the tie settling would be. Uh, but we, we, Mark and I were kind of having interner, in, uh, internal anxiety attacks. But thankfully, they pulled it out. Last round of the year, they, they, they got it done. Um, but congrats to everybody in the top five uh, on both Quest for the Crown and Quest for the Rest. We got thousands of dollars in prizes going out to everybody for the holiday season. And uh, really a really fun year of, of Quest for the Crown. Next year will be even better. Amazing stuff. I now will shift gears to our fixtures. So uh, the point of the, this episode, we're kind of in the, it's kind of the dead zone of golf season, right, Professor? Like we, we don't have a whole lot on the TV, although I think this episode's releasing relatively soon. Tiger played yesterday. Are you a Tiger? If he's on, are you like, I got I to gotta see it? I got to check I mean, it out? You know, greatness, I appreciate greatness no matter who it is, even if I don't like the person or the team or whatever, like the Patriots, right? I was watching, wanting them to go undefeated, um, not because I root for them. I actually disliked them at the time, but like seeing greatness is amazing. Um, watching Phil win Kiwa, right? I'm not a huge Phil fan, but watching him win Kiwa was amazing. So yeah, like, Typically tune in right now. I mean, I'm so out on professional golf. I just, you know, I checked in on Twitter, looked at the score, but I, I didn't turn it on the TV. Um, but I'm certainly watching to see what he does as well. You know, you got Spieth, you know, he's always fun to watch. Sal Torres is back. 
So I'm I'm tuning in in the sense of just keeping my ear down to the ground to hear what's going on. But man, I'm still so out on pro golf. Just I just feel dirt. <laughs> I just feel dirty about it, right? Like what's it's like it's just like uh, I'm more watching. You know what are they going to do with the technology and the ball, and you know more interested in that stuff right now than I am. And in the, the pro game, and you know them chasing their billions of dollars. I mean, they should make the money right there the, and get good market share. But I just don't care to listen to all the narrative around that. Like, why do we need to spend our days talking about millionaires and if they're going to become a couple more millionaires or not? Just, I just don't have interest. <laughs> here, in here, yeah. Go get them, <laughs> professor. Yeah, We're let feisty. them hear it. I, 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 you are feisty. That's, I, I hear you. Um, Tiger is Tiger, right? And. I did. I watched every shot on his um, thank you, NBC Sports, for doing the 20 minute uh, every shot by Tiger. A little you know? play through thing, yeah. yeah, a little play. I watched, I watched all the shots he hit yesterday. And, and here's uh, something uh, Sean Zach said from, I think he's golf.com. Uh, he was like, hey, we're all looking for Tiger to win the next major, right? Or we're all, we're all hoping like his, his return is, isn't just him hitting golf shots. It's him. He goes, but him hitting golf shots is really effing cool. And if you can get your head head out of like, maybe Tiger doesn't ever win the Masters again, or maybe he doesn't, you know, even win the hero ever. Like, just enjoy the specialness of what he brings. And, and then he started citing like some, what, some of what those were in his last appearances, like the, the 69 at, or no, what was it? It was at Riviera. Yeah, like, yeah. He played terrible most of the week, but he th- that round was like inspired. Or he brought up uh, shooting one under, hitting half the greens at Augusta National. Like, yeah, he wasn't in contention, and I think he just barely made the cut. But he had to to get up and down from everywhere at Augusta National, and we got to watch Tiger do that. Like, it it, it did put it in perspective as a kid who you know, probably wouldn't have been as obsessed with golf as I am if it weren't for Tiger Woods. Like, just enjoy the the. The, the craftsman that he is in the, the the freaking nature that he is in a way like um not not just him in the winner's circle but him uh competing again i mean go read anyways go i want to share that yeah go read um, every injury he's had go through and just read and then be like how's this dude still get up and beat some other pga tour players when he hasn't seen a competitive round like what he did at riv made if i remember right, he made the cut right like I mean, he, yeah, he hadn't played a competitive round and whatever. Like, and he gets up on a golf course not suited for him. He's never won there. He's never played well there. This golf course is anti Tiger Woods, and he did what he did. Like, it's just it is yeah. again. I appreciate greatness, right? LeBron doing what he's doing late in his career, just just amazing, right? Jordan with no knees late in his career doing what he was doing still. Like, it's just yeah, they're special people. Um, watch them and just appreciate it. And that's all we can do right now. He's at that stage of his career. Now, the, the Tiger's ripe with controversy. And I'll, I'll, this is my segue into our discussion topics, which are our next two fixtures. On our last show, we talked about the winter meeting, which is headed out to California, playing the golf courses of Alistair McKenzie. We talked about our spring meeting at the beloved Sweetens Cove. Uh, we had great discussions about that. Now, Professor, I want to talk to you about our next two fixtures to kind of hype up as we're in this dead zone of golf. Uh, hype up just what we have to look forward to as golfers, members of New Club in the 2024 calendar year. And so uh, next on our list is the pilgrimage, a place yeah. where our friend Tiger, maybe might not be, might, the locals might not welcome him back. I mean, they gave him that beautiful tribute over the bridge, but what him and his friend JT are trying to do, it's not going over very well. Have you read any of that? The uh, I'm guessing you're talking about the historic movie theater in St. Andrews and trying to turn that into the next flashing disco lights, like martini drinking simulator bar area. That's just like in 30 years, we're going to look back and be like, that's just, it's just such a terrible look. It's just so, it's like when we look at the 80s stuff, right? And you look at the 80s cocaine clubs and you're just like, there is nothing to celebrate with those. And that's, I think we're in that trend right now of like, we're going to plop that in the middle of St. Andrews. Like, have some tact. Have like, I don't yeah. know. Just, I'm, I'm feisty again, right? Like, it's like, we, you don't need to make a buck. On I don't every, think every it's trend. happening. Like, I think, like, yeah, they, they're, they pushed back, right? Like, they're fighting that battle. And I think St. Andrews is winning. Good for them. Yeah, is is there a place for simulator golf in St. Andrews? Yeah, maybe, sure. But is how you do it probably matters. Like, 
Um, maybe not a a New York City nightclub type of vibe. Yeah. Uh, but but anyways, that you know the thing with like the Scotsman and and the thing with St Andrews too is they're just not afraid to tell you what they think. And it was loud and clear. Like the petition had ten thousand signatures within twenty four hours. Like you know they they were looking after their own their their historic movie theater, which um you know. Good, good, for, good on them. That's like a local thing. Like uh, I've been to St. Andrews dozens of times and I've never been to that theater because it's not for me, right? It's not for me. I'm there to, to be a tourist and play golf, to see the site. And, and that's for them. That's for the people. It still is a town. It still is a college town. Like that, 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 that I, I love that, but, that debate, but. Let me ask you a question. Go ahead. The more, one, this quick, say the quick statement of the pilgrimage is awesome. Maybe we're going to talk specifically about that. But that's maybe that's all we talk about with the pilgrimage because yeah, like, it's it's like, sold out. Sorry if you want to go, it's sold out. We got it is full the, team the most already shipping overseas. I mean, one uh, of you can join special, the waitlist. Yeah, by one the way, of the most special, unique trips of any golf society ever. I would imagine, and and we will hopefully talk more it, about. It. But like that's the more the St Andrews is special, right? It is arguably the most special trip in golf you can make is to the home of golf. Do you want to go there and feel like it's a tourist town and have these tourist trap? Mm. They like wouldn't it to I'll jump to my my answer to this. I feel like that would just completely take away from the experience itself and what it's supposed to mean relative to being the home of golf and the history of golf. Places like that just yeah, I don't care. They'll make more money, sure, I bet. Like yada, yada, yada of capitalism, people get richer. But man, that just devalues the experience to me. It just takes away what makes it special to begin with and just takes it more towards, yeah, you got a lot of money, fly over there, you know, go drink your martini at this new JT Tiger Lounge and go play your golf that you're probably paying $600 for and not queuing. Like, I don't know, it just takes all that. It's no longer the experience that makes it special. It's just another golf destination. Yeah. And I think they're aware. I think everybody from like Martin slumbers, you know, in the, in the RNA, you know, chief executive seat all the way down to, you know, all the clubs of St. Andrews to the the townspeople. It's like, they're, I think they're aware of that balance. I truly do because they're going to make a profit. They have to of, of all the thousands and millions of people that go through the town. But, um, but yeah, it doesn't, you're right. There's no contrived nature of that town that makes you feel like it's just a cash grab. Whereas, you know, walking in the gates of Disney World or walking in, you just know like, oh shit, that this yeah. is just all about the dough. It's all about the money. I'm going to be a lot poorer when I leave here. And you will when you leave St. Andrews too, if you're like, like a bunch of our members on the pilgrimage bought a bunch of Hickory golf clubs, but <laughs> that's a different type of thing, right? That's not them, you know, um, um, yeah, 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 Kevin, that's a, such a great point. And I, I'll tie it into the pilgrimage because one thing we uh, deciphered from the feedback the last time is we stayed at the Ardgoin Ar- uh, Hotel. It's a great hotel. It's right around the corner, mm-hmm. um, right off one golf place. Uh, you, you're, you're literally a two-minute walk to the 18th green in the first tee of the old course. But uh, what, one thing people felt like, oh, you know, staying in the hotel, we just kind of felt separate from the town, which I thought was a great great expression. Even though you're, you're pretty close to it, it's just hotels are hotels, right? You, you get your... You stand thing. We're now staying in apartments that are further away from the golf course, but we're playing at the Priors Gate Apartments, which are up by Old Tom's gravesite, basically. Oh wow! And uh, uh, there's probably other people buried there too, but um, Old Tom is is right. He's your neighbor for for the week, and and it's 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 truly in the town. And and I think what that might encourage, and what we're all kind of hopeful of, is. And our hosts, we have some tremendous hosts over there that that help us do all these things. I think they're going to like be more in the ecosystem of the locals, the mm-hmm. local town, which you're going to be at the golf course a lot. You're going to be going and playing. You know, the, the lineup we have is the Eden, uh, Crail, Panmure, Carnoustie. That's a whole day. Uh, the Castle course, the new course. Um, Jubilee. So all those are, uh, many will still be walking distance uh, for your tea time. But what you said is so true, Kevin. It's like the getting over there isn't just about playing the golf and checking a list. It's about experiencing the culture. You know, there is a very distinct culture in Lynx Golf in Scotland and members of the new club. That's what we want them to experience when they're there. That's the spirit of the pilgrimage, right? Is to, to go there and be immersed into golf in terms of how 
they see it as in the great golf societies and clubs of Scotland. And there's no better place to do that than St. Andrews. And, and of course, you know, the new golf club that's there being one of those clubs. Um, there's no better place to do that. Anything else on that trip? I want to talk about the summer medal because there's a whole lot going on at another place uh, in Wisconsin called Sand Valley. But uh, anything else on the pilgrimage? I, th- I feel like we had our past pr- pilgrims on. We've we've really talked a lot about it, so I don't, we don't need to spend a ton of time. Yeah, and I think it's one of those trips that you know it's it's best just to experience it right and not hear too much about it and just uh, just That's go true. over there and just immerse yourself in that culture. And I think that goes back to the theater point of like, there's a perspective on travel that you should want to experience things as that culture intends it and originally like in following its traditions and histories. And unfortunately, we do have a global bleed of where like, okay, we go over there and it's like people want to feel the New York, right? Or whatever it is that they're comfortable with in the American society. And, and uh, so for as long as we can keep it, so it's not like that. That's great. And fortunately, we'll always, you know, the, the great golf societies of Scotland, like they're always going to be the great golf societies of Scotland and they've maintained their history and tradition forever and they continue to do that. And I think that's why they're aspirational and that's why we send our members over on the pilgrimage so they can see the things you look back at their history book 100 years ago and they're still on that same mission, right? They still have the same membership composition. They still play the same fixtures and competitions. They're still doing those things. And they have not succumbed to chasing the buck or pricing members out and that sort of stuff. They've still maintained that to this day. I mean, that could change in the future, no doubt. But to now, they still are the aspirational clubs that we should be looking towards and looking to bring back to the United States and model. That is so well said. The whole point, you just you just encapsulated what the pilgrimage is about, which is getting exposure to that, understanding that you yourself are part of New Club as a member. And New Club is not Uber. It's not, you know, this service thing. New Club is a club that we intend to be around for 500 years. And so let's go visit the ones that have been around for 500 years. And let's learn from the way that they've done things. So that's, yeah, that's that's really well said, my friend. Um, also, the Open Championship is that Royal Troon immediately following the end of the pilgrimage. So those, those, uh, that crew, a lot of them are talking about trying to get tickets when the lottery getting in there and, uh, Royal Truman would be a really cool place to, to see an open. It's, it's such a great test. I still am boggled by how Henrik Stenson and Phil Mickelson shot what they did. Like, I, I just want to know what the conditions were. Like when they were going silly low, that duel they had, they were mm-hmm. so far ahead uh, that might be one of the truly great open championships of all time. Like they were so far ahead of everybody else in the course. It's just, it's a tough golf course in my opinion. I, I, I put it up. I played a lot of the Rota, like Carnoustie is definitely the, the most difficult I'd say or challenging. And, and Troon's right behind it for me. Like, and I, I, maybe I played it in just ridiculous conditions, but yeah, what those guys did, I'd never, never understand. But I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens this, this go around with, uh, the best in the world returning. Yeah, best tournament of the year by far. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about a Wisconsin, Rome, Wisconsin, Nakusa, Wisconsin. The summer medal is headed to none other than Sand Valley, a place that hosted new clubs' very first fixture. So, you're a listener to this podcast, you probably know about our fixtures. They're basically our majors. Uh, the very first one, the first competition new club ever held was called the Founders Cup. We had a uh, ragtag crew headed to uh, Sand Valley when they only had one course, Sand Valley. It was it was the resort was Sand Valley and the course was Sand Valley. And so I, I I reflected as I was getting ready to chat with you, Kevin, about this. I can, like it, it's amazing. Like Sand Valley's kind of history is is almost as old as as New Club. It's a little older. Uh, started obviously sooner because of all the building they had to do, but. Um, it, it really is a part of our identity. I remember going up with a couple of our founders to play the preview of Sand Valley before we were a club in 2016. Mm-hmm. So 2017, we launched. 2016, they opened just a handful of holes, or I think it was like 14 holes. And we went up to check it out, and we were like, what the F is this place? Like, wh- Where are we? Where Did we just transition from the Midwest to Mars? Like, the sand dunes that existed there were just, I wasn't ready for it. And, mm-hmm. and I was so 
skeptical of Mike Kaiser's sons. <laughs> I love both these gentlemen, both past guests of, of this show, tremendous you know, advocates of the game of golf. But the idea that it, without having seen it, the idea that they could take Bandit and bring it to Wisconsin, which I know is not the idea. However, that's what I, obviously as a consumer, that's what I'm thinking is like, well, if it's not Bandit, well, why, why would I head there versus, you know, out to, to Bandit? I just didn't, it didn't count. It didn't make sense to me because I had no idea of the terrain. I had no idea that what existed up there, what Craig Haltom, fellow member of New Club, he was the first guy to, to see the site through a lens of golf. And, um, and then just ran from there. What they've been able to achieve in the short amount of time that they've been building that place. I mean, seven years, dude, wild, like wild. It's crazy. All the, all the golf that we have to look forward to up there next, uh, next August. But yeah, I just want to start from that standpoint where like, I just didn't think it would be the, the place it is. And now it, it is him, you know, it's, it is he, <laughs> the sand Valley is the real deal. One of the best golf resorts in the world. I was just going to ask you, like, I know it's a, but put you in an awkward position in the sense of trying, we try to develop relationships with resorts and golf places, but where does it stand for you on the, you know, that sort of list of places you want to go? Um, Cause I think on a previous episode, I said it might be one of the most underrated places out there in the sense of it's awkward to get to. Not a lot of people talk about it from, you know, down in this region or whatever, but I've been there just with the two courses and now with the other course they've added. And from the first time I went there, I'm like, this is upper tier. Like, so you've been about everywhere. Like, yeah, hype it up. I, well, I think I think I'll need to answer it after uh, experiencing Lido and Sedge Valley, right? And and that those are two powerful assets they added to the resort. Um, yeah, for for me, there's there's very few places in front of it. You know, Go, going overseas is is one experience, and you, you obviously have to approach that more as a tour. Meaning, you got to get on a rent a car, get on a bus, get to different places if you're going to make a full trip of it. If if we're talking about a category of golf that you stay in play, you walk to your tee time or you shuttle to your tee time every single morning, um, mm, I think Bandon edges it out. And then beyond that, I've been to a lot of them, man. I can't, I can't think of anywhere I'm putting in front of Sand Valley personally. So yeah, that's fairly high praise, but uh, I'll, yeah. I'll answer that again after we we see the other two. And so let's talk about the other two. I think, you know, people are probably more familiar with Sand Valley. Uh, well, just briefly touching on it. It's a core in Crenshaw. It, I, I, I like it. It's elegant, I feel like, Sand mm. Valley. I also think for the better player, Sand Valley is a bit more interesting. Um, it I know their inspiration was a little bit of the Heathland uh, in, in mm-hmm. England, which we'll talk about on an upcoming episode. Um, it's, it's a little bit of that is my guess, but also, you know, the wind blows on Sand Valley, the greens are, are challenging, I think. And, and, you know, it kind of plays back from that. It, it's a much more, uh, it's a very core in Crenshaw, but I'd put it in one of their more challenging designs, honestly. Um, uh, not, not by par by any mean, but by like, I, I see some, not, not people don't struggle on Sand Valley, but I see some people, it yields less birdies, right? And you need to kind of be thoughtful if you're looking to, to make some birdies. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, my one trip up there, which still sticks with me, just what an amazing place and the compliment between the two courses, Sand Valley and Mammoth. But at Sand Valley, I just remember sticking out in terms of, you know, to use the jargon of shot value, just every shot mattered t-ball approach from there like every shot mattered what you know where your position was and i remember being i played a great round that the round on sand valley like one of the better rounds i've probably played in that two three year run and i just remember still being pressed the whole time like i had complete control of my ball but every shot it's like okay well we really have to think through this like where do i want this and if you missed like you were you were perplexed. You were put in a position where you had to work. Um, and I just thought it was a, just an excellent, solid design, just like really, really thoughtful design all the way through. And I was very impressed with the land movement and what they did with it. So Mammoth Dunes is uh, kind of the opposite 
in a lot of ways. I think uh, one our friend Jason Way always told me, he's like, yeah, you got uh, at Mammoth, you got 12 greens that kick everything in and six that don't. And at, Sa- at Sand Valley, you got 12 greens that kick everything away and, and six that don't. And so I, I thought that that was always interesting to think of it. But Mammoth is consistently people's favorite. I, I remember every trip we've made up there and we've done, I think our first two founder, three founders cups were up there. And then we finally decided to start moving that around after we got snowed on for the second time. I think we've, we've made a summer medal up there. So new clubs made three big group trips up to say Valley. And, uh, we always do the polls afterwards to understand who liked what and, and where things rank. Mammoth always ranked as people's favorite and most fun. Uh, which is such high praise, right? I think that's I think that's great. A big part of that is just the massive slopes that take your ball for a ride, right? And you get to watch a lot of them are feeder pins, like I said. It, that's really a good testament to to David McLay Kid and what they built there. But it is different, and I think if if you're a better player, sometimes I think it might be a little too easy per se, you know, quote unquote. What's easy to par? Maybe yeah, sure, but the the shots are still. A whole lot of fun, you know. If you, I always tell people, like, if, if if I get that take from a good golfer, they say, "Yeah, it's just too easy compared to you know other cars." I just say, "I don't think I want to play with you." Like, you know, like, well, if it's just one round in a hole over the grid, like, if you can't have fun on Mammoth Dunes, man, like, come on. It's, <laughs> that's that's always my my feedback to them. Yeah, I was trying to think of a word to use for it. It's it's a relaxing round, Mammoth. Like, it's a very relaxing round, very enjoyable round, and and that's. We played it. I mean, I'll never forget the day we played it in that the year I was up there. I mean, it was spitting 31 degree rain, right? <laughs> like there was literally ice in the rain. We got tequila drinks on like the sixth hole, whatever, wherever that shed is, right? Halfway <laughs> down that fairway, the glass was frozen. The plastic grass had, or pla- plastic cup had ice around the, out- formed around the outside of it, literal ice. They came up to us three times during the round, three times in a cart and said, Y'all can go in and have full eighteen hole re- like rain checks for your next trip up here when you come when you come up for the next year's Founders Cup. Like, please, like three different times, like the third hole, this that sixth hole, then I think even the twelfth hole, they offered us to go in and have full, like it was one of the, the probably the worst weather day um, I've ever played outside of like torrential downpour, like hurricane weather, um, and yet it was a relaxing, fun, enjoyable round. And I am people that know me. I am not a mutter. I am like I could sat. I could have sat inside and drank coffee and been you know just as happy. But it was a blast. We had a great match. Like it was just Sand Valley would have been a miserable round. Mammoth. We had we got done. And we're like pat each other on the back and be like, I'm glad we did that. No regrets. Would do it again. Like, that is yeah. It was it was that was. That is such a testament to our early founders of New Club. Like at that point, we weren't that big. It was all founders and and people. Like the golf sicko was was strong, and not that it's it still is. We got hundreds of golf sickos still, but it it was uh, people willing to play in that have something wrong with them. And but the competition was on the line. When you do that, it's like who gives a shit? We're all playing in the same weather, and we're playing for the same cup. And I just, oh, that is such a good memory. I'm glad you brought up that off weather. By the way, good point to interject. The date of the 2024 summer medal is August 16th through Friday, August 16th through Monday, August 19th. We're not going to have sleet. We're not going to have snow. We are going to have sunshine. That is, I literally asked them after our past snow rounds in San Valley, I asked them, I go, what is the... Opt, what is the best weather you see all year? And they're like, yeah, probably mid-August. I go, yeah, that sounds right for central Wisconsin. So we're, we're good there. Let's talk about the other courses because the ones that we haven't played. Um, it was Sandbox. We, we didn't mention Sandbox. That's how we kicked the trip off. Let me go through the itinerary real quick. We arrive on Friday. We play the Sandbox. It's a hoot. Everyone's drinking beers, hanging out, getting to meet people, playing eightsomes, tensomes. I think we had a 16-some at one point. Like that is just a good way to ease into a golf weekend, right? Um, then we wake up, we play Sedge Valley bright and early. We got to talk about that because I think I'm most excited for that. Uh, then we play Mammoth Dunes in the afternoon on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Sand Valley on Sunday morning. 
followed by the Lido on Monday morning. So we got an open Sunday evening. There's got some ideas, some things that we're kicking around. I'm, I'm going to probably take the fat tire bikes. Shout out to the uh, mm. outside activity crew at Sand Valley. People go there to play golf, but man, they got so many things to do. Um, we're talking about doing a grass, te- uh, grass court tennis tournament uh, with wood rackets, actually, Kevin, um, where we're going to do like throwback. We, uh, maybe we make a hickory X aspect of, of the summer metal as well, but they, they have some cool things going on at Sand Valley outside of golf. So there's grass tennis. I, I did the fat tire bikes. And I'll pivot this to, uh, I know you probably want to talk about that, but I'll pivot this to Sedge Valley. My only experience with Sedge Valley, and I, this is kind of cool, is riding it on a fat tire bike. Huh. When Doak was initially shaping it five years ago. Dude, five years ago, they started to, to build that thing. It, it, I think they scrapped the idea that he originally had for Sedge Valley and he did okay. it, something totally different. But when I was up there on a, a personal trip with my wife and dog, and uh, they give you a five-tire bike and you can ride it on. They got some trails and stuff. But I, I know the landforms out there. I don't know what he built. I've, I've kind of purposely stayed away from a lot of what it is, but I know the intent. Uh, the land was the most corky for sure. It's the most rigid. It's got like, it's the most uh, unique of all the, the lands up there, I think. And uh, I'm really excited to play the par 68 you know, 6,200 yard course that he built there. I think it, I think it's going to fit that land really, really well. Yeah. Interesting to hear you put that one over the Lido in terms of, uh, anticipation. I think, I think most people would, would flip on that. Why? Why do you think I, I've been thinking about this? The, you know, I think it's the Lido has that aura, that mystique, that uh, just history, the Jurassic Park aspect to it, right? Like, it just like that's what makes me think of it, which I think brings up the point. Like, do you have general thoughts on, you know, it's, it's the people who built the course, it's not their course that they built, right? Um, and they also used a very technology aided approach to building it. Do you have any gut thoughts about, like, does that give you any hesitation on it? Or is it just you just are really interesting in Sedge relative to what, what you've seen and heard and like your kind of affinity for um, riding a fat tire bike around it? Yeah, I, uh, uh, that's interesting. Why Why do I? I think I, I have to be counter to, to something. Like obviously Lido has all the hype. So I think me is just my my character. I want to kind of zig when people zag. and and uh, but, but here, I think what has me much, most excited about Sedge Valley is it means... It might mean more to golf. And what I mean by that is, does golf need another, I know there's public access, we are going to be beneficiaries of that, but does golf need another exclusive private club that is regarded in the top, whatever, 100 courses in the world? I, yeah, that's great. But Sedge, to me, speaks more to what golf needs, which is quick. The round there is going to take three hours. It's 6,200 yards. It's a par 68. We threw par out the window. Who gives a shit about par, right? Like I, I feel more compelled to that because I think it's more transformative. Mm. Um, we're bringing back something that was dead in Lido. And I think that's really cool too. I, I love the movie Jurassic Park, like, like you said. But, but Sedge could be more in the, 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 the vitamin that golf needs, which is more courses like that. It, mm-hmm. We don't have to have 7,200, par 72, six-hour rounds, four-and-a-half-hour rounds. Like, that's do something that is that is sporty, and, and it's not unique. I mean, I think his inspiration was uh, a lot of the courses we're going to be playing in England for our 2025 fixture, right, with the rise and, and the, what's the, is Swinley? Is Swinley Forest par 68? I mean, there's a number of courses I feel like, in the yeah. Heathland that so, so that's, that's how I feel about it, right? As I get excited for the pace of play, I get excited that we can tag on, you know, that Sunday, if you want more golf and the sun is setting, you actually can get a tee time on there because mm. it's going to take you three hours to get around or it should. And, and I, just a great place to interject. The Kaisers care so much about your pace of play. And I have, they've taken a leadership position on it. They, they, they put it in the category as, you know, architecture matters, pace supply matters. And, and the way they've, they've really, they've taken a lot of the drink stands off the golf course, which I am so in favor of. You can see my thumbs up there on the screen. 
it it is th- little things like that that are people are afraid to make those decisions because they're gonna um, they think they're gonna lose consumers. Well, no, you're actually enhancing the product for the greater good of all, for the benefit of everybody, and and stuff like that is what they do there. So yeah, kudos to that. Let's but let me ask you about like Lido. We should talk more about because I, I I think I'm here's what here's a a revelation I think I might have come to. I'm. I might be an underappreciator of uh, Rainer, Rainer golf courses, Charles Blair McDonald golf courses. A lot of people put them one in the same, but I, I wonder why I don't, I've played not all of them. I played a number of them, but they don't really excite me like other places. And I think I might be missing something. Do you think I'm missing mm. something? Oh, good question. I've never, nah, well, you need to go play Lookout, Lookout Mountain. So shout out to my uh, Chattanooga friends, um, Lookout Mountain Golf. I think that one's going to resonate with you. Because I think what what you can say about... I haven't played a ton of Rainer or McDonald's, um, but like I'll take Camargo as a good example, right? It's a beautiful golf course. Beautiful golf course, great architecture, wonderful land. But in terms of just engagement of golf shots, like... The Rainer McDonald Coles courses I've played don't necessarily compare to the McKenzie's. To the, I mean, you you've been blessed with a number of Scotland and Europe trips, and so obviously that taints you too, right? It's just a different style of game we have in the United States on their golf courses, and it's just not as I don't know shot variety oriented as some other places. For me, Ross Greens are far more engaging than most um, Rainer McDonald courses I've played. Granted, the the Double Plateau is one of my favorite greens in the world. I get super excited with every Double Plateau I go to. But overall, like it's a lot of you know thoughtful, careful design, but it's not super engaging to me in the same way some other places. So maybe that's what's going on. I know you're a artistic like thinker with it, and that maybe doesn't come through on some of their courses, especially with approach shots in the greens, right? It's sort of a... A lot of places are big hit or miss, right? Like you, I use them for qualifiers a lot of times because I know like just avoid the greenside bunkers and you're going to be all right. But if you start dumping wedges in the short side greenside bunkers because of how severe the slopes are, you're going to get in trouble. So I see it as a, a white and black like success on an approach shot. Like did I keep it out of the bunker or did I not? Like if I kept it out of the bunker, I'm not going to make worse than par uh, on a lot. Of, like uh, the double plateau and a few greens being an exception, but overall majority of the holes through the course you can play with that perspective and just get your two putts and move on or take advantage of a close approach and get birdie. Um, so I think maybe there's a little bit of that yeah, to I, that. Yeah, maybe. I, I think, and this is, I'm typecasting and this is not a fair assessment perhaps, but I see a lot of the fairness crowd to our prior episode about golf. Is it fair? Is it, should it be fair? Uh, with Stephen Proctor. I got a lot of people reaching out to me. I feel that the fairness crowd, those that, which primarily are attorneys. I don't know why, but every one of them I looked up and they're attorneys. I don't know why. They just want things nice and fair with laws that are spelled out. They, in this again, typecasting, I feel like the, the, the Rainer courses appeal to the fairness crowd, the people that want to have a pass fail type, like very clear. I, I'm in the spirit of randomness in golf. And I, and I think my introduction to actual architecture was overseas. Like I didn't get that bug until I was playing in Scotland and Ireland. And, and it all kind of collided for me at the same time. And so my, maybe my sensibility is a bit more of, I don't want the exact same template. I don't want the exact same slope. I want things to lay of the land. Like, and, and I, I don't know. I feel like there's this desire in, in those courses for them to be all same and in the same challenge. Like a Redan should. Like I hate hearing comments mm, like that. Mm. A Redan should do this. What do you mean it should do that? <laughs> like, who said that? Who said that? Did Charles Blair McDonald say that? Like, uh, and I had a conversation with Todd Quitno about templates, who has been on our show and and was building a Redan, and and he has the same kind of kind of feeling on it. Like that that that's maybe my my assessment of those. However, everybody that's played the Lido that I talked to this past spring said it's incredible. <laughs> so I, think, I hope. Yeah, I was just gonna say to be fair too, like. I think Rainer and McDonald have a lot of good blend of like, you think of like the Alps hole and the Redans where you are at the just whims of the bounce, right? Like, so there are those holes, but then within like, I think Camargo, I always use the example, like 
for every one or two of those holes, there's six that aren't at the whim of the bounce, right? Yeah. Just that don't don't um, embrace that all the way through. So it's a, I don't know. But I haven't played enough Rainer and McDonald to really like be that confident in my assessment of them. But so here's what I'll do, and we're we're already over time, so that's uh, that's wrap, and 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 we'll we'll let people carry on with the day. But uh, our good friend Jim Sitar wrote a book mm-hmm. with Mr. Michael Wolf, um, and uh, with photography from John Cavalier, and I think I'm missing someone else who uh, partook in the the Rainer. They wrote a book on Rainer. And I ordered it. I ordered it from my Christmas present. Thank you, Jim. Um, go to uh, uh, Back Nine Press if you're interested. So uh, I, I'm going to dive in deep on on it because I, again, I just feel like I'm missing something. I want to learn more about it. I want to play more of those courses. And and then uh, what we'll do is we'll have those gentlemen on the show and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about the man himself. Um, so uh, yeah, that's that's. Uh, Better yourself. You can't just stick to what you know, right? That's let's bring the experts in. Definitely, I will bow to them, and we can maybe they can explain your your thoughts on on the courses and why you feel that way and why you might be wrong. Which I think, again, going to prop up Lookout Mountain, like totally unique in that. And I bet there's going to be some people to your point of like just they they actually have a, a negative response to it because it's it's totally different than most you know, most Rainers out there, um, in terms of its flair and whatever they, it's a, oh, it's a brilliant. Shout out to our fixtures for 2024. Uh, we got some excellent opportunities to get involved if you're a member of a new club. And, uh, it begins with the winter meeting in February, uh, to California, McKenzie. It then shifts to the spring meeting at Sweetens Cove. Uh, the summer medal, which are the pilgrimage we talked about today and the, in the summer medal we talked about today. So there's a lot more to dive into on each of these. One thing that Kevin and I are going to do for the 2024 season is we're actually going to have people on to speak to some of these places and topics. Um, and, and I'm excited for that. Like it's kind of like hype for getting ready for, for those big visits. And if you're not ma- you know, making these trips with, with new club and you're just a, a, a listener of the podcast, like we hope that you, you you take something from it and maybe you go visit because all these places and I and I can't speak enough to this. It's not just like throwing at a dartboard. We are so thoughtful and meticulous, and we put in so much conversation with our captains of new club to select where the most compelling, interesting, inspiring golf exists, and where we can spend a weekend doing it together. That's what these places are. That's what our fixtures are meant to do. It's meant to bring people together from every chapter, from all walks of life, from all over the country. But it's also, they're meant to really inspire us. Inspire us in the way that St. Andrews does. Maybe 10% of the way there, 20% of the way there. But that's what these places do. And I I think between uh, the list that we have coming up, we still have to talk, by the way, Professor, about our Founders Cup, the golf courses of Mike Strands down in South Carolina. And... Our, uh, what am I missing? Oh, our 2025 international international to to England. So more to come on all those. Thanks everybody for seriously your support. Listen to this podcast all all year. We, um, we really enjoy it and we hope you do too. And, And it really is just another way for us to connect with people that love this game of golf and occasionally help some people with the professor's fun facts or how to manage your to do list. Professor. Thank you, sir. We'll catch you next time. See you next time.